Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to the continuation of My Name is Lily Madwip by Lillian Madwip. The last episode, we discovered her power, the sad event that took her brother's life, the power that resides in her doll, Pascal, and how she really doesn't need a therapist. In today's episode, we'll be learning more about Lily, her thoughts, who she is, and what it's like to meet others with powers. And... Worst of all, her hatred for vegetables. So, turn the lights off, the sound up, get an Earl Grey ready, and prepare for something strange. My name is Lily Madwip, and I wish everybody would just stop dying. It's been three months since my brother Roger got turned into mashed potatoes by a semi. It's been five weeks since my therapist discovered she had developed an allergy to shellfish. It's been two days since mum and I picked out this hamster that I named Whiskers because it's got so many whiskers and now Whiskers is lying upside down in his hamster wheel with his feet curled up and his little mouth hanging open. He's got big buck teeth. Maybe I should have named him Buck. I did not see this coming. How am I even going to explain this to mum? I want to say some swears, but I'm out of quarters for the swear jar, because I spent my last two at the grocery store in one of those gumball machines. Only instead of a gumball, I got a plastic paratrooper with a parachute who's currently dangling from the branches of the tree outside my bedroom window. Shit! Dear swear jar, I owe you one quarter. Pascal sits at my art table, holding a red crayon because his hands are perfectly moulded for holding something like that. I sat him down earlier to doodle, but he didn't draw anything. I made a still life using watercolours. I like still lifes. I always include Pascal in my work. The one I did today was a bowl of fruit and a vase, because I saw a painting in a museum and people like fruit and vases in their art. My mum is at the office today. She's an executive. I asked what an executive does, and she said they execute people. Then she and dad laughed. I didn't know what execute meant at the time. But I found out later. So in school, when we had to write about our parents, I wrote that my dad was a music teacher, and my mum was an assassin. Mr. Porter gave me a check mark, but wrote that next time, I should follow the assignment. Dad's in the garage right now. I can hear him through the door, tapping on Roger's drum set, as I carry whiskers to the kitchen to get one of those little plastic food containers Mum buys in bulk for me to bury pets in. Normally my dad is in his workroom, trying to write music, but he hasn't done a lot of that since Roger died. He said he's working on a dirge. Apparently that's a piece where you go to the liquor store at midnight, then come home and drink out of a snare drum. I only know this because I woke up once and went downstairs to see what the noise was. I'm not a fan of dirges. Whiskers is a little too fat for the plastic container. 
but if I squish the top down, I can still seal it. I ran back upstairs to get Pascal and my jacket. I need to hurry because Dad's going to hurt himself by accident soon and come into the kitchen, angry and bloody, looking for Neosporin. And if he sees me with another dead pet, he's going to wig out. It's warm out today, and the ground feels soft. Mum keeps the gardening tools in the shed, and I grab a trowel. My next-door neighbor Jamal is in his backyard climbing a tree by the fence that separates our houses. He sees me and waves. You should never wave while climbing trees. That's how people fall out of trees. I wave back. What are you doing? I call to him. There's a thing in the branches near your house. He points at my bedroom window. That's my plastic paratrooper. I say. <laughs> Finders keepers. <laughs> Jamal laughs climbing up several more branches that reach over our fence. I don't think it's going to end well. Pasco agrees. You're going to fall and die, Jamal. I warn him. Jamal freezes on the branch. He looks at me. And for a second, I see the branch he's on snap. And he lands on the fence, and the wood slates impale him. And then he lays there flopped halfway across the fence and staring at me, at which point Dad's going to come out and say, What did you do now, Lily? And then I'm going to go to adult jail and... Oh, and maybe I'll get a trial first. But the branch doesn't snap. And Jamal slowly, carefully, shimmies back down to his side. A moment later, he peers at me, through one of the holes in the fence. Was I really gonna die? He asks... Yes. I don't actually know. You want to help me bury my hamster? Okay. Jamal goes around to the front yard and comes up our driveway. I like Jamal because he listens to me. He's a year older than I am and goes to a different school because his parents are Catholic. He always has to wear a tie to school. Roger's head would have exploded if he had to wear a tie every day. What happened to Whiskers? Jamal asks looking at my hamster mushed into the container. He ran himself to death. I don't actually know if that's true, but it seems plausible. Can you do that? Absolutely. Mum marked out a section of the backyard by the woods for me to bury pets. It's behind her garden where she apparently grows dandelions and those weeds with the pointy leaves. If you go into the woods, it eventually comes out at the highway. Roger used to go into the woods with his air rifle and shoot soda cans with his friends, Skeeter and Dustin. They tried to take Pascal once and were going to use him for target practice. But I grabbed him back and hid under the front porch until they gave up. There's a lot of spiders under the front porch. I don't like going under the front porch anymore. Jamar holds Pascal and Whiskers' plastic coffin while I start digging a hole between Raphael, my ninja turtle, and the goldfish I never named. Raphael got stuck on his back with his head underwater and drowned. I didn't even think turtles could drown. The goldfish I never named got some sort of disease called Ich, and fell apart, and then the parts got sucked up into the filter, so all that we buried was its head. Every pet has a story, but it would take too long to tell them all. I'm tired of digging, so Jamal takes over. 
he's much better at digging than me. But that's because he helps his dad shovel snow in the winter. My dad uses a snowblower. He always offers to use it on Jamal's family's driveway. But Jamal's dad always says the shoveling is good for them. It definitely pays off when you've got a hamster to bury. Once the hole is dug, not too deep, we put Whisker's coffin in, and Jamal offers to say a prayer. That's okay, he was just a hamster. I tell Jamal. Animals have souls too, Jamal says. So do plants. I wonder if Whisker's soul is still in his body. Is he in purgatory like Roger? I also wonder if this means Jamal says a prayer before eating broccoli. I fill the hole in with the dirt we dug and pat it down. I need a couple of popsicle sticks to make a marker, so I offer Jamal a popsicle. Hey, Lily, look. Jamal points into the woods. There's a bunny rabbit watching us. It's grey and almost matches the colour of the tree that it's leaning against. Oh, it's not leaning. Oh, oh. Is it dead? Jamal whispers. Of course it is. Pascal tells me not to go into the woods, but Jamal is going into the woods now. And Jamal is the only person that's nice to me. So, I follow him. He stops at the bunny and nudges it with his shoe. Oh, hey, Jamal got new shoes. They're blue and they got big swoops on them. I didn't even notice before. The bunny crumples over. It looks like a pile of fur now. Jamal kneels down to see if it's wounded or something, and I notice a couple of black birds in the brush beside us. They're also dead. I don't see any blood on it, says Detective Jamal. I use my boot to brush some leaves over the dead birds. What the heck? Jamal is standing up again, and staring further into the trees. Lily, go home. Pascal tells me. But I don't go home. I'm sorry, Pascal. Jamal steps past the bunny and crunches through the shrubs and sticks until he comes to a big pair of branches lying on the forest floor, except they aren't branches. Jesus! It's a deer. One of the male ones like Bambi with big antlers. Its eyes are gone and you can see into its head. But it's dark in there and so you really can't see anything but its eyes, which are just a pair of holes now. Its fur looks like it got run through a washing machine. It's all matted and slick. The whole thing is just lying there, in the bushes with its head on sideways and its antlers sticking up waiting for someone to trip and fall on them. What the heck is going on? Jamal's eyes are bugged out, and he's visibly shaking. I wonder if it's possible for someone's eyes to literally pop out and then hang down their face like they do in cartoons. Later, I might draw a still life and put Jamal in the background with his eyes popped out just to see what it would look like. I look around. The ground is littered with dead birds. I'm standing on one, but I thought it was just squishy ground. And I feel bad using the word litter because that sounds like the birds are just trash. And they're not. Except for chickens. I don't like chickens. Even if I was Catholic, I wouldn't say a prayer before eating chicken. Broccoli, maybe. But this still seems weird. There's other animals too. Small ones, mostly. 
The deer is the largest one we found, but we also found a couple of raccoons and someone's cat with orange stripes. I think it belongs to the Millers down the street. And a bunch of squirrels. Like, a lot of squirrels. Like, at first I thought maybe we could bury the animals, but when I started counting the squirrels, I thought, no. There were little moles too, or voles. I don't know the difference. But I know there's moles and then there's voles. And they are related somehow, like me and Roger, to our cousin Susie, who got run over by a boat. I'm getting out of here, Jamal says, with his eyes still bugging out, and he runs back to the backyard and down the driveway and into his house, yelling, Mom! Mom! The whole way. I take a moment to count the animals until I get to the squirrels, and then I just give up and go back home. I guess we're not doing popsicles. Jamal's mum comes over later and talks to my dad. I like Jamal's mum. She always smells like coconuts. It's her shampoo. I don't tell her that Jamal's going to have nightmares tonight and wake her up screaming, because telling her that is not going to change it, and she might think it's rude of me to say. Pascal suggests that I go draw that still life that I was thinking about whilst the adults talk. So I do. I see my dad go into the woods with Jamal's mum from my bedroom window, and then they come out and she's actually pretty calm. But my dad is hysterical. I don't mean that he's funny. I mean that he's wigging out. Dear Swearjar, I owe you two quarters. When dad comes inside, he calls mum at work, and he's using his outside voice. I hear him saying angry things about me, and my curse. Pascal tells me not to worry, and that it's not me. Pascal is always right. Isn't he? Next chapter. My name is Lily Madwip, and I think my dad is trying to kill me. He put Brussels sprouts on my plate. I know for a fact that Brussels sprouts are poison. Pascal says they're not, but they sure taste like it, I think. I never ate real poison, obviously. My brother Roger once knew a kid who drank so much cinnamon that he had to go to the hospital because it was eating away the inside of his tummy. That's what it feels like when I eat Brussels sprouts, like they're eating away at my insides. Eat your breakfast, please, Lily, my mum tells me. They're both trying to kill me. Brussels sprouts aren't even a breakfast. What kind of parents make their children eat Brussels sprouts for breakfast? I ask them this question. What kind of parents make their child eat Brussels sprouts for breakfast? You were told last night, if you didn't eat them with your dinner, you were getting them cold in the morning. Dad says, from behind his newspaper. Oh yeah. Brussels sprouts taste like garbage. I haven't eaten garbage either, but I've smelled it. And it smells like Brussels sprouts. Lillian Alexandra Madwip. Adults use your middle name when they're trying to make you do things. And somehow it works. Middle names are magic. Anyone who knows yours has power over you. That's probably why some people don't have middle names. The most important people don't even have last names. Like Madonna. And Jesus. And Garfield. Whenever they catch a killer... They tell everyone the person's middle name, so if they escape, 
Anyone who sees them knows how to protect themselves. Dad throws down his newspaper and storms off to his workroom with his coffee. He and Mum had a big fight after Jamal and I found all the dead animals out in the woods the other day. I heard them from my room where I was painting a still life. Dad said things and people around me keep dying, and stuff about me being creepy. Mum said I'm his daughter so if I'm creepy, I get it from him. Then she got on her phone and called people who came and collected all the dead animals in big garbage bags. There was a whole crew, like six people. They had these huge, thick gloves on and wore masks like you see doctors wear when they're operating on someone. One lady had a clipboard and she wrote down every animal they found. There were 23 and a half squirrels. Things got worse when mum came to tuck me into bed because I'd forgotten to tell her that Whiskers had died. All the yelling and banging of doors and the van parked on the front lawn and garbage bags, I didn't remember what started it all until she kissed me goodnight and saw his empty cage. Then everything started right back up again. Except for the van and the people with the garbage bags. I sure hope they don't come back and dig up all my pets. I take the bus to school. Our bus driver's name is Ed. He's been driving buses for 34 years, but not the same bus because buses grow old too. He says his son was in the army, but now he works as a layabout. I think that means he's in the circus? I bet he's got a job as the guy who shoots trapeze people out of a cannon because he was in the army. At morning recess, I sit on one of the benches by the baseball diamond and watch a bunch of sixth graders play kickball. Jamal is playing with them. His school is down the street, and he and a couple of other Catholic kids hang out and play with us most mornings, because their school starts 15 minutes later. He looks happy for someone who still has nightmares about dead deers and birds banging and screaming at his bedroom window. He's going to kick the ball straight at Tyler O'Neill, and it's going to hit Tyler right in the crotch. I'm amused because I get to see it happen twice. Pascal is in my backpack. He tells me I shouldn't laugh at other people's pain, but when Tyler gets hit in the crotch, Pascal agrees that it's a little funny. There's a new girl in our class. Her name is Meredith. Mrs. C.D. has her stand up in front of class and introduces her. C.D. stands for Carter Dogbill. She's got two last names. That probably makes it harder for other people to have power over her, unless she's got no middle name. Mrs. C.D. used to be Miss Carter, and then she married someone with the last name Dogbill, and just nailed his last name onto the end of hers. Meredith just moved to town. She's real shy because she's got these marks on half her face. She covers them with her hair, but it's easy to see. Jeffrey Baker asks her what happened to her face, and gets in trouble. Trouble in our class is these demerit slips you get for doing something wrong. Three demerit slips in a week, and you get to go talk to the principal, Mr. Longbow. He yells a lot, and his face is always red from yelling. Meredith's face is red too. Pascal says she got burned. I wonder if she's a pyromaniac. That's somebody who's crazy about fire. I mean, literally crazy. There was this boy in Roger's grade who was a pyromaniac and he went camping with his Boy Scout troop, saw a spider in his tent and tried to kill it with hairspray and a cigarette lighter. 
he got burnt all over his body because the tent caught fire with him inside it. Mrs. Carter Dogbill asks us all what we say to Meredith, and nobody says anything until Hannah Glass says, Hello? And then we're all like, Oh yeah. It was pretty funny. Nobody knew what Mrs. C.D. was talking about. I was going to guess and say, Sorry you got burned. But I'm not supposed to know that, I think. Mrs. C.D. makes Meredith sit next to me in the back of the room. Pascal tells me to be very nice because new kids are scared. I was going to be nice anyway. I make sure to blink a lot because I don't want her to think I'm staring at her burns. They make her face look kind of waxy, like a candle. Hi, I'm Lily, I tell her. New kids are the best because I haven't freaked them out yet. I know. Oh. I don't know how she knows that. Maybe some other kids already told her about me. I hope it wasn't Rachel whose dog died from seizures. Meredith pulls stuff out of her backpack. She's got a green pencil that's all glittery and has a rainbow eraser. Her notebook is three subjects, so it's already three times better than mine. She pulls out a Barbie doll and sets it on the front of her desk like I do with Pascal. And this thing is horrifying. It's got no clothes at all, and most of its hair is missing. There's black scorch marks on its face, and one of its hands is melted into a lump. I can't help it. I got to stare at this doll. This is Barbie, Meredith says, and turns her Barbie towards me. Oh god, its face is kinda melted too. I make Pascal salute Barbie. This is Pascal. Then I feel bad because Barbie doesn't have articulated limbs like Pascal, and her hand is a lump anyway. Meredith sits next to me at lunch. Nobody else sits by me, so new kids usually end up there. But she doesn't just sit at the table. She sits next to me. She has a purple lunchbox with planets and comets on it. I have a paper bag with my name on it in Sharpie. Her lunch is a peanut butter sandwich and some carrot sticks and a plastic bottle of lemonade with... Oh my god! She has Oreos? I've got a high C and some blue corn chips and a pepperoni and mustard sandwich. My dad snuck more cold Brussels sprouts into my lunch. I can't tell if it's meant to be a joke or not. I swear, he's trying to kill me. Meredith asks permission from the lunch monitor to go use the bathroom, and she leaves her melted Barbie and Oreos with me. Not like I get to keep them, but she says she trusts me to protect them. The moment she's gone, though, her Barbie starts talking. It tells me its name is Nathaniel. I've never met a doll that spoke to me like Pascal does. I ask if it's an, I ask if it's an angel like Pascal, and it says it is. I wonder if every doll has an angel in it. That would be a lot of angels. But I guess, if they run out, God can just make more. I ask Nathaniel if Meredith knows he's an angel, and if he minds being a melted Barbie with boobies. No and no. Then he tells me that Meredith has a gift like me. I ask him if he sees things before they happen, and he says that she doesn't. He says her gift is that she burns things. Like a pyromaniac? Kind of. Has she ever burned a spider in a tent? No. She burned her parents, though. 
burned them right up. They're not even buried like Roger is. They're ashes. And they got scattered in a park. He says Meredith lives with a foster family now, and they don't know that she can burn things. They try to be nice to her, but she's always sad, because she knows she burnt up her folks, and she misses them. It's okay for her to be sad, Nathaniel says. But if she gets angry, I need to get away. That's when she starts burning things. Meredith comes back, and Nathaniel goes quiet. She looks happy because I guarded her Oreos and melted Barbie, but I'm scared now. Because what if someone hits her with a dodgeball in gym class, and she sets us all on fire? The boys want to play dodgeball all the time because it's the only time they can hit us girls and not get in trouble. The bell rings for afternoon recess, and Meredith lets me have one of her Oreos because all I got left are Brussels sprouts. Do you want to play on the swings? She asks. Okay. I'm sweating the whole time we're swinging, out of fear. Not because Meredith is hot. I don't know how she burns things. Nathaniel didn't tell me. But I think she uses her mind. But maybe she has laser eyes like Superman and Cyclops. Those are comic book characters, though. They're not real. Lisa Welch and her crew of jerk girls start coming over. She always looks smug. Probably because she is smug. Her dad is a dentist, so her teeth are always perfect and she likes to show them off by smiling at everybody. Even people she hates. Like me. I'm probably going to need braces. I know Lisa and her friends are going to make fun of Meredith because making fun of people who look different is their favorite thing to do. After chasing the boys around the baseball diamond when they're trying to play kickball and telling each other stories about stupid stuff their parents bought them. Like Brea horses and jewelry with their name on it in case they forgot their stupid names. Stupid Lisa Welch and her crew of jerk girls. Hi, Lily, Lisa says. She makes it sound like she's singing when she says hi. I guess that's how smug people do things. Who's your new friend? I hop off the swing and stare at Lisa because I'm good at staring. If you don't go away, you're going to trip and break your front tooth on a rock. I'm lying. But Lisa Welch and her crew of jerk girls don't know I'm lying. They just know that I tell people things before they happen. She covers her precious mouth and starts to run away. But then she trips and falls on her face. And next thing we all know, she's crying and clutching her face and bleeding from the mouth. And they're all yelling to one of the recess monitors that I put a curse on her. I'm just shocked. Lily Madwip put a curse on Lisa! They are crying. Lisa is wailing like a banshee. That's an Irish ghost that screams all the time. I saw one in an episode of Scooby-Doo. Mr. Longbow comes out of nowhere, steaming, because he's always red in the face, like his brain is boiling or something. I think he has the ability to teleport, because he's never there, and then the moment someone breaks a rule, he's suddenly right there. He starts yelling at me. Lily, did you push Lisa? Come with me, young lady. Meredith hops off her swing. Lily didn't touch her. Excuse me? Mr. Longbow isn't used to kids actually saying things to him, besides crying or wetting their pants in pure terror. Lily just told him to go away, and she fell on her own. By then, the crew of jerk girls have hurried off with Lisa Welch 
and the recess monitor, so none of them refute this. Not that they could. I mean, that is really all I did. I'm still kind of in shock though because I've never had that happen before. I didn't see Lisa fall and break her stupid tooth. I told her it was going to happen and it happened. Even though I didn't actually think it would. What if I told Mr. Longbow to cluck like a chicken? And he started clucking like a chicken. That makes me giggle. Mr. Longbow notices. He didn't see my thoughts, though, so it's not funny to him. I end up going to his office anyway. He likes paintings of eagles. They're all over his office. I wonder if it's because he's bald, like the eagles. Maybe he wishes he was a bald eagle? I have to tell him again that I didn't touch Lisa Welch. I just told her to go away and she tripped and fell and broke her tooth on her own. I leave out the part where I told her that she'd trip and break her tooth before it happened. Mr. Longbow lets me go, but tells me to stay away from Lisa Welch. I had no intention of hanging out with her anyway. She and her crew of jerk girls all play with their expensive Brea dolls and make fun of Pascal because I got him from a thrift shop and he's an action figure. So what? I bet none of their dolls know anything. When I get back to class, Meredith waves and smiles at me. Nathaniel, her melted Barbie angel, is sitting on her desk. I wave and smile back, but I'm still scared. Because if I'm going to be friends with Meredith, it feels like being friends with a shark. Maybe the shark likes you, but then maybe the shark is hungry and doesn't care. I hope she doesn't burn me. I spend the rest of school quiet because I'm a little worried about saying things and making them happen. After school, I take the bus home. Pascal tells me I need to be careful around Meredith. Yeah, I know. He tells me there are things I don't know. I know that too. He tells me things are about to get much worse, and that he's sorry. I don't know what that means. I get home and Dad is in the backyard. He's dug up most of my pets and he's filling garbage bags with their remains. He says it's unsanitary to have so many dead things buried in the backyard, and that they probably poisoned the grass which killed the deer and the rabbit, and the twenty-three and a half squirrels, and all the voles and moles. But I point out that squirrels eat nuts, not grass, and there were raccoons too. And besides, what about that half a squirrel? Yes. What about that half a squirrel, Dad? You're going to put my pets back? I tell him. He doesn't. I don't know why it worked on Lisa Welch and not my dad. Instead, he tells me to go do my homework, and that we're having pork chops and asparagus for tonight. Asparagus! I'm telling you, he's trying to kill me! Well, it seems like Lily Madwip's powers have more to them than Lily realized. Or was it coincidence? Was it just Lily magic? I have to wonder, perhaps, could Meredith have assisted Lily without Lily even knowing? And yes, I think Lily has every right to be concerned about being pals with Meredith, aka the Human Torch, whose doll is a good example of those that seem to get close to her. I'm going to finish off this week on Friday with the remaining two stories by Lillian Madwip, and should she write some more, well, I'll be sure to record them for you next week. And folks, you might not be able to hear this, but it's raining like crazy outside, so I'm going to finish off this recording before my power cuts. 
Over here, sometimes the uh, rain gets a bit hectic and cuts the power out, so I'll cut this outro a little bit shorter than usual, get it edited and uploaded straight away. Otherwise, if I don't get this done now, well, it'll probably be tomorrow morning, which I refuse as an option. I'm not going to keep you waiting. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Stay creepy, my devilish listeners. And as always, till next time. time.